1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
2: Steve Rosenblum. We suck so your self quaranting doesn't have to. Mark Grody. I think there will be lasting derivatives of this once we get through
3: it. and Hopefully we will um, with minimal damage. That um, people will be more aware, honestly, of washing their hands and um, good thing. And apparently wiping. Apparently wiping.
0: They suck, so you don't have to. They
2: can do what they have to do.
1: They know what they have to do. Now they don't have any problem getting it done.
2: Founding members of the W B Club. Wake and they come on. Where's Toby? Well, so I'm practicing, you know,
3: social distancing and. I have a few tips for everybody, you know. You know, no sharing pipes or joints, things like that.
2: The three words that describe this show, and I quote, stink, stank, stunk.
0: It's Saturday suckage on the score.
2: We should be 670 WSUK. Welcome in Saturday Suckage, our new extravaganza. But we are not our—we are an hour short because the Army-Navy game will come on at one o'clock. But until then, it will be quite the extravaganza with Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody, Cody Wesselman talking Bulls, Scott Merkin talking White Sox, Adam Eaton—a new and different sounding. He sounded different than the guy who got mad at Mark Rohde and called Drake LaRoche a leader. Hi, Mark. <laughs> oh, Isn't hi, he? Steve.
3: Yeah, I think it was after that interview that we conducted, <laughs> Bruce Levine and I, in Mesa, Arizona, sitting in at Sloan Park in the press box, nobody else at the field, and we're talking to Adam Eaton, and he's talking leaders, and I asked him a couple of tough questions, and then afterwards Bruce told me that Adam Eaton doesn't like me because of the questions I asked, and then he's not going to come on the score anymore because of me. So he was back today, so I feel good about that. I feel good for Bruce. I feel good for inside the clubhouse because, you know, I didn't want to pull that out from under them. And yeah, like so many other athletes, he's fixed now. Everything is fine. (laughs) Nothing to see here anymore anymore you know to, a, to to a different parallel this is a completely different and an exaggerated analogy but do you remember like back in the day every single year there were stories about Patrick Kane when he would in the off seasons about how he had matured and he's a different man and he's uh-huh. now he's he's staying away from people oh yeah and then then he gets drunk and wasted and does crazy things so like it i'm always hesitant when i when i hear that there's been sort of a a public relations campaign to, to make sure that the guy is shiny and spotless and all that kind of stuff again. So we'll see. I hope he is. I hope that's all real, but it's also just an easy story for, for media. You know what I mean? Like, have you matured? Yes, I have.
2: Okay, good. Great story. Yeah. Based on your own self-evaluation, which had issues going into this. So yeah, I don't, I, I just the way he sounded, he didn't hang up on, on us the way he hung up on the flagship. So so that's good. He was good. It didn't sound like the guy who would, because what what, just so everybody remembers that that was the genesis of the whole Drake LaRoche is a leader in his own way kind of thing, and it it led to much mockery and and would be part of a what, what was shown to be a bit of a dysfunctional, divided clubhouse and and, you know, Chris Sale got traded. He got his World Series. Adam Eaton got traded. He got his World Series, and now. The result of those deals has put the White Sox on the brink of being a World Series favorite. They might be the American League favorites right now. So so it all comes, it, it, that's the way this story has, has come back. But I just got a kick out of the fact that he sounded more mature, and that's good and sure didn't hang up yep. on you. It's,
3: it's easy for everybody to say that now, and and hopefully that's true, and hopefully he'll be a contributor. Like, the White Sox are at that fun part of their rebuild right now where you can do that, where you can go get guys, the one-year guys, the one- or two-year guys that you just add in, and you know they're not going to be around beyond that, but then they become a part of hopefully a championship run, and you look back like you you remember with the Bulls. There was, like, rotating big men that would come in every year. James Edwards, there he is, there he goes. You know, it's like You can add these guys, and then we think about them later. Hopefully, we'll be looking back and say, oh, yeah, remember they signed Adam Eaton. So, he got a ring with Washington and with the White Sox. So, hopefully, that'll be the case for the Sox.
2: So, he's Mark Rody. I'm Steve Rosenblum. We are Saturday Suckage, and we uh, we are broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studios, the palatial Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. Our tech zone which is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time, shop online at RosenHyundai.com. You can reach that number, no, 312-644-6767. That's also the number. Should you mistakenly dial it and get on the air, then Trash Panda, our producer, will hit the sounder and we'll go on full alert that there is a breaking phone call, and we will do that. So you asked in, in our Twitter give and take leading up to the show as our show planning Happens on Twitter. Is this a must-win or, as I say, a must-lose for the Bears? Where are you on this, Mark grody
3: Well, I posted that because it sure felt like the the Green Bay game was kind of a must-win. Oh, and then the Detroit game was <laughs> a must-win. So I just don't know what that makes. Like, I think we're out of options on the must-win game because must-win is desperation, and believe it or not, when we say must win, that does actually connote hope still, because if you win the must win, then that must mean something good, like you're still alive. So I just don't know that we are eligible to fall back on must win for the Bears, because even if they do must win win the game against Houston, what does it mean exactly? Does it, does it mean anything other than the torture of a long losing streak is over. So I just don't know that we can go to the well one more time with must win.
2: Well I'm rooting for must lose, so everybody gets fired. And 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 I'm in favor of that because this is top top when you lose to Detroit, a team that fired its its GM and coach for sucking as bad as the Bears did, you have you have no reason to keep anybody around. I mean the mistakes are are now legendary. Quarterback putts Ryan Pace between Mike Glennon Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles. That's a free agent. That's a trade. <clears throat> that's a, I mean, a free agent draft and trade. And it costs you draft capital along the way. That's your your hat trick for a quarterback putts. You cannot screw up the most important g- position in the game. Arguably the most position, the most important position in sports. You can't do that and keep your job. That is simply would be simply ownership malpractice or cheapness by the Bears, by George McCaskey. And in that case, we'd need a new McCaskey in charge because this would be stupidity. And here's something we're going to do later on this hour. We're going to have Cody Westerland at 11.20, and we're going to have what Mark heard at 11.40. And I don't know if this is going to be in there. Bill Lazor, what Bill Lazor had to say about last week's awful stuff, when specifically the play where Mr. Trubisky lost the ball, lost the ball game, did everything you forgot, did everything that you expect Mitch, a bad quarterback to do, an overdrafted quarterback to do. And Bill Lazor was talking about Matt Nagy's instructions. When the when He said, the quote was, win, win the game, play aggressive. Coach wanted us to be aggressive. Let's play the game on offense to win it. And laser said, as a player, as a staff and players, we had a great we had great confidence. We were disappointed we didn't get it. So here's what that tells me is that Bill Lazor just told you that Matt Neggy doesn't know how to win a game. It was right in front of them. The clock was their friend, they wouldn't use it. Neggy just likes pretty shiny things. He calls it aggressiveness. But winning a game requires smarts. There are not enough smart people on those headphones to win games. And you know what? You can go back to Matt Nagy's last game with the Chiefs where he called plays and he lost that playoff game and he admitted it was all his fault. He didn't know how to win that game. He doesn't know how to win that game. Here's how you win Sunday's game. And I do think there's hope, Mark, because it's mathematical. At least you have something going on and then you're eventually going to face the Vikings. You might beat them and break a tie and I know. There's just a whole bunch of stupid going on. But there is some hope. Here's how you win. All you do is run the ball tomorrow. Houston sucks. Houston's the worst run defense you can imagine. They're awful. Run the ball and run the ball and run the ball, which runs counter to Matt Nagy's DNA, which leads me to believe he doesn't know how to win the game. But you run the ball, you shorten the game, you eat up clock, and you keep Deshaun Watson off the field. That's the way you win tomorrow's game. What do you think?
3: The Houston Texans allow, to your point, 150, 1-5-0 (laughs) rushing yards per game. 31st in the NFL. However, how many weeks have we said something similar to that, where a Bears opposition allowed 115, let's say, plus rushing yards per game? And we've come on here and said the same thing. Oh, this is the game. This is the one where the rushing game breaks through. And obviously they had a strong running game last week. It was it was a very good offensive performance by the Bears right up until the point as you were outlining until it was not. So if they continue to do that and continue to have the same success with this offensive line, and that's a key part to it. That's a key part to it. This configuration of the offensive line, which probably will stay – as was or as has been the last couple weeks featuring Sam Musterfer as center and Cody Whitehair sliding back to guard Jermaine Effetti pulled to the outside, that that has been a help in all of this and it has been one thing the offense has figured out this year. But I'll go back to my original point that I'll, you had it last week, but there's, there's been too many times this year where we've looked stupid for saying the Bears are going to be able to run the ball and that they were not able to.
2: No, they could run the ball. They just, the coach refuses to, he's either bored by it, he doesn't understand the concept. I believe, I maintain that one of the many things that makes Matt Nagy a bad coach and and worthy of being fired, he doesn't know how to win games. And the game is right there in front of him. The clock can be your friend. You don't have to have all these pretty shiny things. And Bill Lazor was following orders, I understand that. But Bill Lazor should be able to know how to win games. And he doesn't. Or he's afraid to try to win games the the way the game should be won because he might his coach might disagree. So we will discuss more of that. Oh, uh, one quick question: uh, If Deshaun Watson scores a touchdown, throws a touchdown, do you think he'll count to twelve on camera? <laughs> I just thought I'd ask. <laughs> yeah, you know, you never. Never more than one segment away from a cheap shot on Saturday. Saturday. Well, in, Steve, he right. said
3: he doesn't care, and it's no big deal, and he's liar, not liar, mad pants about it. On, liar, right. liar,
2: pants on fire. Right. No, he right. cares, he cares. Right. And, and maybe that'll be a way to get to have the Bears talk to him. Hey, Ryan Pace, here I am. You want to talk to me? I'm right here. The guy's uh-huh. going stick it in your end zone. Uh-huh. All right, we are going to take a break. We'll come back. the The Bulls played their first game. They hooped. <laughs> They hooped for the first time in nine months and it looked it. So we're gonna talk to Cody Westerland of the score and learn what we should have learned last night. And maybe it's none of the above, but I, I wanna know what what did I miss because I saw what I what I did see, what I didn't miss was a whole lot of crap. And I I'm I know they didn't set the bar too high, but we'll find out what we should what we should learn, what we should take away from that. Cody Westland will join us at eleven twenty. Scott Merkin, MLB.com, he'll talk White Sox at the top of the hour. Your American League favorites. And uh, Mark Rody and and Steve Rosenblum are here. It's Saturday Suckage. We suck so you don't have to, though Matt Nagy's game plan seems to beat us to it every time. Chicago Sports Radio, six seventy the score.
0: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one. listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bulls ball with two seconds left. And they'll just inbound the ball. And this game is
1: (coughs) 125 to 104. i think this was really good for us because we got our ass kicked in 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 a lot of ways which was good but i think it also gives us a point of reference from the standpoint of the things that we've got to focus on and where we've got to get better and playing against somebody else and doing that was good but forget about like the the the, the discipline of the game plan it was more you know the things that you're gonna have to do in every single game
2: Welcome to the Guard Packs roster, Billy Donovan. That was New Bulls coach Billy Donovan. His first game, they beat. they were hooping last night against the Houston Rockets who could not miss from three. Got our ass kicked in in a lot of ways, he said, talking about teachable moments, at least 21, one for each turnover. Welcome and welcome back, Saturday Suckage. Joining us now on the Alpamonte Ford hotline, Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park is Cody Westerland. He's a wonderful young man who covers the Bulls, and I was all excited to watch the Bulls with their new coach, the new front office, new intelligence, instead of like the weapons grade stupid that we got used to, and then it was 14 to two, and the Bulls had more turnovers than baskets, and then I was sad. The Bulls (laughs) weren't moving their feet, they weren't moving the ball, they weren't keeping it in in the area of play, they weren't looking active, and I was sad. Cody, why did you make me sad?
4: I think you should blame Garpax and Arturis because that's their roster, like you just said, Rosie, and they just didn't make many moves. And I think we learned last night, if you take nine months off from basketball when you're bad, (laughs) don't play any games, and then bring back the same roster, not much Uh, is going to change with four contact practices to your name under a new coach. It's going to take time. Last night reminded us that.
3: Yeah, they were clearly playing the all-star game defense where anybody could do anything against them, especially in the, the first. I mean, that that's what it felt like to me. It had, it had that emptiness of an all-star game. But, Cody, I will turn to the positive side of things. And and I'm just going to give this disclaimer one time. I feel like the big voice guy should be running a disclaimer on our station. It's the preseason. It's the first preseason game, so whatever we say is not necessarily set in stone. So there we go. Now we don't need to say that again throughout this interview. Um, Patrick Williams did everything pretty well last night. He he didn't at least he didn't look like a project. What did you think of Patrick Williams last night?
4: Well, I, I liked what I saw on the offensive end a lot. He scored 12 points on 5-9 shooting. Uh, two of those shots were missed three-pointers. So when he got in the paint, when he was in two-point land there, he looked really comfortable. You saw him shot fake, go off the bounce, hit a mid-range jumper. On the baseline, he grabbed a rebound, composed himself in the lane, got a short shot up that was good. Like You can see his touch, Like, and I think that's what drew the Bulls was just his comfort on the offensive end. And for a guy his size, you know, I think he's, what, 6'8 or so, 225, 230. Like, he looks he looks comfortable with the ball in his hands, too. Not as a primary initiator, but when the ball's getting um, swung to him on the perimeter in the flow. So I thought it was a promising first night for him. I think just saying he looked like he belonged in an NBA rotation already, for someone as young as he was, I think he was the youngest American Uh, prospect in this NBA draft class, like that's saying a lot because he's not a guy with a lot of college experience, didn't even start in college. So I think, yes, if you're going to the positives right away, he's certainly, I think, probably the biggest one from the entire game just because he looked like he had a good feel for the game. The defensive end, uh, I think it showcased a little bit. Eric Gordon beat him off the dribble with like a between the legs move. And you could see when you cut to the timeout, Williams was talking to teammates kind of like quizzically like, Man, did you see how many times he dribbled? So I don't know that the Bulls love saying he's versatile and can guard all these positions. I just don't think that's going to be the case early in his career here as a rookie when he's on an island against a guard on a on a screen and roll. But, you know, he got some minutes at the power forward when he first came in, played in like a three-small forward lineup with him, Hutchison, and Porter later, and I don't really know exactly whose responsibility was what at that point. But I think... Uh, him guarding probably small forwards, a little bit bigger guys, maybe it'll be fine. I think it'll be difficult defensively for him getting on an island with guards.
2: Well, I think feeling this, the speed of the game goes for him. It goes for everybody with the, the layoff, but especially a guy who has not played in the NBA, and I think the speed of the game was one thing. But I did, I don't think he looked intimidated by the whole John Wall thing, whereas I looked at, I watched the defensive liability of Zach Levine and, and Kobe White, and I, I don't know what else to say other than I, I hope they can outscore their defensive liabilities. Um, what, what can change there, Cody?
4: Well, Billy Donovan said the Bulls basically did no scouting report on the Rockets because they've been focused on installing the offense and other things in practice, and you don't want to waste time doing scouting reports on preseason games. And he said he really made no adjustments as the game went on and the Rockets lit it up from three-point land. They could have been a little more aggressive maybe in switching and running guys off the three-point line. You saw a couple times like Wendell Carter Jr. just sagged in the lane and and guys shot three-pointers on him. So maybe part of the reason for the defensive struggles was because they just didn't try to make any changes. But the problem is the on-ball defense, and that's going to be every single game, whether it's preseason, regular season, whenever the Bulls get back to the playoffs at some point is their hope here, sooner rather than later in the uh, Arturis karnashovas era, obviously. But Kobe White did it poorly. Wendell Carter Jr. did it poorly when he got isolated. We know Zach Levine's had problems with that. I didn't think Lowry Markinen helped him at all in the defensive end. I don't know that he got torched quite as um, obviously as others did, but the backline defense and help was not there uh, in contesting at the rim, so it was pretty much a disaster on the defensive end when you just break it down to like what guys have to do one on one, what they have to do for their job. Really, I mean Otto Porter Jr. was the only guy defensively in the starting lineup who who looked comfortable like doing what he should do, and he's a smart player, a veteran, and just a bigger guy who knows how to use his feet, not not be too aggressive, not be too conservative, and uh, the rest of it was pretty much a disaster.
3: You know you mentioned Wendell Carter yeah. Jr a couple of times and, and and his defense. Also offensively it was a rough night for him. 0 for 5 from 3, 1 for 7 from the field. Here's what he looked like to me, Cody. He looked like a guy who was anxious to show the that the previous regime wronged him and that he was going to come out and be a different, aggressive player, which may still pan out. But I just saw kind of an anxiety from Wendell Carter Jr. last night. What did you see?
4: Well, I saw a player who was kind of adhering to his coach's wishes in, as you mentioned, shot five threes and missed them all. That's a guy who only shot 61 three-pointers combined in his first two years in the NBA, shot him at about a 19% clip. So That's been a big weakness of his game, but theoretically something everyone says he can do better. Well, year three is the time he's going to have to prove that. But Billy Donovan said after the game he wished that Carter would have shot 10 three-pointers, and the Bulls missed him on a number of occasions when he was open, and he also thought Carter a few times passed the ball or uh, tried to dribble in, do dribble handoffs when he should have just got the ball and shot a three. So Billy Donovan's going to tell him to keep shooting, certainly early on here in the preseason. I'd expect the same thing in the regular season because unless he does it, you can't find out uh, whether he's capable of doing that consistently. So uh, Billy was a little more optimistic about Wendell's play than I think just the uh, average outside observer because, like we said, uh, he's supposed to be kind of a defensive anchor and nothing about the Bulls' defense was good last night. And then you look at the 107 line. So, I mean, with Wendell on the offensive end, I, I think you just go back to no games in nine months. You know, like, we didn't expect this to be smooth for the bulls when they're installing a new offensive system and when they have three point shots at the guy who hasn't done it a lot and not played in nine months so i wouldn't worry too much about that like this is the time for him to fire away i think early in the season's a time for him to fire away because the bulls this is the year to figure out if it all works together wendell and lowry marketing the the kobe white as a point guard um experience or experiment stuff like that they have to figure it out so they have to see it and uh Last night was the first of many times trying it.
2: We're talking with Cody Westerlin of the score. We're talking Bulls basketball. I was quite excited, and then Cody made me sad. What should, what could, what might there be something happy about playing the Rockets again? They will do that tomorrow, and then they'll play two games against uh, Oklahoma, Billy Donovan's old team. Uh, I saw a bunch of guys running around in transition, couldn't find Couldn't find the right guy to stop, couldn't find people to stop, couldn't rotate, and a new defensive system. But what, on both ends of the court tomorrow, could we legitimately expect to see if we're going to submit to watching this team again?
4: Well, I think on the offensive end, I would go back to Kobe White and Larry Markinen. Kobe had 15.6 assists last night, which was... A decent line when you look only against two turnovers, but the first stint was really bad when the Bulls fell behind 14-2, to and Donovan had said, like, I'm judging Kobe White not on his individual play, but whether he's a connector on offense and how our team is, is flowing, and the Bulls didn't do that early on. So if you're holding Kobe White to Billy Donovan's standard, he just didn't play well enough in the first quarter. He didn't do his job. And again, the stat line, it's hard to judge stat lines, too, when you're down 12 points in the first three minutes and you're down like 20 the whole game. So uh, some of that gets inflated a little bit for those guys. So I want to see how Kobe plays within the framework of the offense again. And Lowry Markkinen's the biggest piece, too, offensively there. And I did think they got Markkinen on the move a little more early on, just coming off screens. He had had a play where he drove from the left wing to, to the hoop for a tough layup. He did a pick-and-pop with Kobe White that looked just really easy. I think they should do more of that when the defense got a little confused and Markkinen had a wide-open three-point shot, a good look. That's what they want him doing, shooting. He was 3 of 5 on threes. So I liked that part for the Bulls. So I'll be looking at White and Markkinen quite a bit on Sunday night. Defensively, it, it just gets back to can the guys on the ball Try harder and do their job a little bit better to stop dribble penetration, because it's going to be a wreck if they can't. So I think that's that's just a little bit more of a a test of how much they care on the defensive end. Are they going to respond <laughs> and make it a little more difficult on the Rockets because that lack of ability to to contain dribble penetration led to a lot of those open three point shots. Hey man,
3: this is you know our Turris wants guys who could shoot. He he wasn't as worried about the defense and the audience at least just you know on a snapshot but i think kobe white's a really interesting guy because he is he's so fast i feel like he could get down you know drive to the basket just about every time if he'd like to and he was doing that a lot where we'd get down low and then he'd pop it back outside it seems like he might be a little conflicted on shoot versus pass right now, if he is going to be a true point guard for that. Did you sense that at all? Like he's got to be a facilitator, but does he have to be a scorer? Just kind of defining what he ultimately is for this Bulls team, or even in the NBA in general.
4: Oh, yeah, I, I sense that. And he he admitted it like this is, you know, his biggest challenge right now. And it's difficult because he's been a point guard in high school. I think North Carolina's all-time prep leading scorer up there. But when you're the high school point guard with the ball in your hands all the time, it's a little different from the NBA. Like You're still expected to be the lead man, kind of the same thing at North Carolina when he was a freshman. So this is different for him. I thought it was a little revealing in his comments after shoot around Donovan said, well, he is a scoring guard. That's what he is, and now we're trying to make him something else. And I just get back to, like I, I don't think this is ever going to work for the Bulls unless they get a real true point guard, and they have to do that sometime. Uh, They had a chance in the draft to do it if they would have liked Killian Hayes enough, for example. They could have taken him at the number four pick. They didn't do that. Uh, That's fine, but at some point they're going to have to go get a true point guard, in my opinion, because I don't think you can kind of just pigeonhole guys into something that they aren't necessarily, and that's what they're trying to do with Kobe White. And it's fine because if this is a rebuilding, not a rebuilding year in their, their words, it's a reevaluation year to see what they can do together under their own coaching staff. But I think he's going to be a scoring guard. I think he could be a shooting guard at some point. If he's not a starter, he could be your sixth man and be really good off the bench with that. But I think at some point they have to get a true traditional point guard in this next uh, phase of their organization. And we're going to probably see that that's the case this year, and they'll realize it eventually.
2: All right, Cody. I appreciate your time. Thanks for jumping on. We look, I look forward to talking to you when you don't make me as sad. Okay.
4: Okay, and I'm gonna keep blaming the Bulls. I'm just gonna pass the buck along. <laughs> yeah, you never go wrong doing that, do you? Just <laughs> shift blame elsewhere. There you go. Thanks. Thanks, Cody. Thanks, guys.
2: See you, Cody West, of the score, talking Bulls-Rockets. They'll play again Sunday, and I mean, there's. Great revenge, game. That, there it is. Yeah, revenge right, game. There it is. That's the one. It's a must, it's it's big, a must win yep. game. Mark. <laughs> the real, the real must win on Sunday is the bulls. <laughs> well, you're looking for, they didn't set the bar too high. Okay, great. Now come out, don't get down 14 to two and you're, you're facing it. If anything is going to stress your defense as a team that shoots like the rockets without conscience and, and with great ball movement, that's, I wanted to see the bulls do that. So maybe they will, maybe look better. I did. They have every opportunity to do that. So um, so we'll see what happens. Well, do you remember they it.
3: kept uh, the reason they kept, uh, real quickly, the reason they kept, I find this to be a microcosm of everything that went down last night. They kept Denzel Valentine on the roster because yeah. why? Because he could shoot. So what early on in this regime, what they are concerned with is scoring the basketball and they'll get to the defense at some point in time.
2: Yeah, or maybe never. So maybe never. We'll, yeah. we'll just outscore our defense. That's the sure. way we're looking at it. Uh, that's kind of what the Bears were hoping their offense would do last week. Uh, I think we need to do what Mark heard this week because there was a lot that went on the fallout from the, the must-lose game against Detroit. That, just, that embarrassment that everyone should have been fired and the fact that they weren't embarrasses the organization even more. So let's do that next, Mark.
3: I'm ready, man. I got my cuts all, right. all lined up. I'll tell you what
2: I heard. All right. We're going to do that. What Mark heard. Up at Hallis Hall next on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. We don't have terms on this team. It's time for
0: What Mark Heard, a rundown of the best sound coming out of Hallis Hall this week on Saturday Suckage with Mark Brody and Steve Rosenblum. Boy,
3: everyone is stupid except me. Hey, Stevie, I'll tell you what I heard here in a second, but Jeff Passon of ESPN reporting that catcher James McCann and the Mets are finalizing a Four year contract for 40 million plus, sources tell ESPN. After a long back and forth where a deal looked tenuous, the sides found detente, and the Mets have their catcher. Um, Ken Rosenthal was. on the reporting as well. And then one other little note here, the 40 million plus James McCann is getting is just a touch over 40 and includes a signing bonus per sources. Two years after being non-tender by Detroit, McCann gets a long deal in the last seven years. Who has Monty Grandal as the only catcher with the White Sox, um, other catcher to get four years at 10 million per. And then one other bit of breaking news, Lil Wayne, Faces up to 10 years in prison after pleading guilty to federal weapons charges.
2: No. Ooh, yeah. See, yeah. Okay. Uh, They didn't. I don't think the Mets and McCann reached a taunt. They reached the 10 million dollars a year average annual <laughs> value. That's what <laughs> That's happened. It. We'll talk to Scott Merkin, uh, covers the White Sox for MLB.com. We'll bring that up with him because that affects. That greatly affects. That will directly affect Lucas Giolito and. Can he pitch to somebody else? But for now, what did Mark hear this week? All right,
3: let's fly through these, man. Um, All right, here's what I heard. So we know how good of a quarterback Deshaun Watson is, but I didn't realize he was as good as Chuck Pagano thinks he is. Here's Chuck.
1: He's a great player. What a talented top two, three player in this league, I mean, as far as I'm concerned. Could arguably say maybe he's the best player. I don't know. He is so talented, and... um, He can beat you uh, with his arms. He can beat you with his legs. Uh, They run a great scheme. It's perfect for him. The ton of more RPOs than anybody in the league right now, the read zone stuff, uh, they move him around. Third down, if you're lucky enough to get him in it, and a third and long, and he drops back to pass. He can beat you, you know, with his arms. And then when things break down, you know, we talked, you know, to this point we still, you know, got a long way to go, but the, it's the play within the play, you know, because you got to defend the first part of the play. And then when it starts to extend, you know, or it's an RPO or whatever, you got to, it's the next play, the scramble play, the plaster play. And right when you think you think you got him dead rights in the pocket and you're hanging on him and you think you got him sacked, you don't. He's big, he's, he's strong and he's athletic. And you guys have seen him, you know, step out of harm's way multiple times, you know, and then run for first downs or throw the ball down the field and get a big chunk play. He's
3: Stevie, uh, sounds like Pagano has mastered the pumping up of the opposition. What do you think of that?
2: Uh, I y- yes and no. I think he's going overboard, and and that they give him a way to to save his beaten defense. His defense has sucked the last two weeks. You can blame that on the offense from the previous ten weeks, but but his defense has sucked. The defense knows it, and and they've just given up yardage like we can't believe. So, I. I think, he's, I think he's throwing down a challenge to a deep end. Well, our coach is talking about this guy that will show our coach. I think that's what the game they're playing, right? So I think it is a, a psychological game. You're right. All right, let's do one
3: more on the Watson motif, the theme, and it is Mitch Trubisky being asked if he's getting tired of hearing about it because, you know, we had to ask Mitchell Trubisky about Deshaun Watson.
5: No, it's not, because you kind of said it yourself. Like I, I don't, I don't control that narrative. I don't control what people say about it. But it is always going to be a story, just because that's the draft ca- class we came in. It was me, Deshaun, and Pat, and we were picked where we were. And now it's up to us to make the most of our, out of our opportunities. And they've done a great job with theirs. And I'm still trying to write my story here. So that's all there is to it. And uh, my opportunity is to to go out and lead my team this week and, and try to get a win. And I'm excited about that. But I'm also happy for their success as well, because obviously they. That earned
3: it. Yeah, and the, I think the only way that, at least temporarily, this theme would be quashed is, is only if the Bears were to absolutely blow out the Texans and embarrass Deshaun Watson, which I just don't see coming.
2: I, you never know if they run the ball, and <laughs> we've seen they can run the ball, and they keep Deshaun Watson off the field, and they take advantage of the one of the many things that Houston does particularly badly I mean, you just have to get it. If it means holding Matt Nagy's dream, pretty shiny thing, offense hostage, then that's what you have to do. The idea is to win the game. He doesn't know how to win the game. So I I think the Bears do have a chance to do that. They can shorten the game, and they can shorten Deshaun Watson's um, influence on
3: it. Let's get an update on Allen Robinson because it periodically still comes up, his – contract the season is nearing an end and there is still nothing in place for alan robinson in terms of discussions or potential public talks on a contract extension so what's it all about for you alan robinson the rest of this season man
5: I won't say that, you know, at the same time, again, for myself, I always look at it. Obviously, things like that come up because that's your livelihood. And that's like, you know, something that is a possibility that can't come up. But for me, it's about it's not even about that. It's about me continuing to try to get better each and every week, honestly, and be the receiver that I, that I want to be. You know, again, I want to finish strong. And this year, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what contract or no contract, whatever the case may be, my mind is to finish strong for myself. You know, again, I feel like I've been able to put together some a couple of decent years, you know, and I want to finish this, you know, as strong as strong as I can. You know, that's the that's the number one focus and number number one thing on my mind.
3: What's crazy, Steve, is that if Allen Robinson does get 1,000 yards a season, which he, he should, assuming he doesn't get hurt, he's, he's less than 100 yards shy of it, he would become only the fifth Bears wide receiver to have back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons ever in franchise history.
2: Wow. So Brandon Marshall, mm-hmm. Alshon Jeffrey. Correct. Um, Curtis Conway. Oh, man. When he wasn't homesick, he was actually catching passes from Eric. And then a great Pat
3: Summerall name is the last one.
2: Ryan Mundy was a
3: receiver. (laughs) No, ready for this? Marty Booker.
2: Oh, that is a good Pat Summerall. I did not, I forgot. Marty Booker was just sort of, he's just sort of, he's going to be the Allen Robinson of his time. He's just, okay, not good teams, underrated. He's going to leave. So.
3: Yeah, he you know, it's funny. That's a great comp because the dirty little secret about Allen Robinson is that Allen Robinson is kind of a possession wide receiver and so was Marty Booker. Marty Booker was not <laughs> as good as Allen Robinson, but they're no. kind of the same type big, yeah. you know, bodied guys who were sure-handed and Booker. I love Marty Booker.
2: Right, right. Marty Booker was what you wanted. He was his, he was both the safety net and and he could be what what quarterbacks were looking for and all of that, but it just you know, I, I Alan Robinson should go play with a quarterback you could be proud of instead of what he's played with in Jacksonville and and, and here with the crap that Ryan Pace has given him. And
1: What's
3: he next? just might. All right, yeah. I got I got. I know we're we're up against it here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave one cut out and get to maybe the most important cut here. And if we have extra time, you know, Trash Panda, you can just let me know. But I assume we're running low here. Um, so I'm gonna jump to Akeem Hicks. And the only reason I'm doing this is because. Hicks was, you know, uttering a theme that is near and dear to this show, to the wake and bake show, the sucked show, and that is mothers. We love mothers on this oh, show, yeah. and Akeem Hicks was talking about mothers. So I talked to Akeem Hicks about mothers. So check this out.
5: These are conversations that I have sitting at the house with my mom. You know what I'm saying? You you talk about these things like mom, I. I there's one person in your life that will tell you you did everything right. You know what I mean. And mom will tell you you played the perfect game. You did everything you could do to help your team win. But you got to be honest in, in every situation. And that's something that I, I've spoken to her about. It's just that hey, I, I know my fingers in that pot, and, and I got to be better for my team. And I know you love me, and, and I know you think I'm perfect. But there's there's more to it. <laughs>
3: Kim, I like hearing about your mom's insights. So when, when you get – let's say you get injured in a game like you did earlier this let's year. Let's not go that
5: scenario. I don't like that scenario already. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but what did she say then? Then did she say, I don't want you going back out there?
5: Oh, mom, mom has a lot of influence, as, as do most moms. But um, she she understands that, uh, you know, this is very near and dear to my heart. And, and she is more so the, just the support. You know, and and she definitely has her criticism for for the entire team. You know, yeah. when we have good games, when we have bad games, she lets me know. But uh, you know, it's a uh, it's it's a beautiful thing, and I gotta appreciate you know what we're going through right now, as far as you know, being on lockdown and and these COVID situations, because it does give you a chance to to be around your family just a little bit closer. So uh, I've been enjoying that a lot.
3: How you like me now, Rosenblum?
2: <laughs> We are the mom show. We we yes. got Jean Grody. We got Alice, who is mostly in charge of um, keeping Shooter from from doing something crazy and <laughs> and yeah and and then we heard from Tom Thayer about Tom Thayer's mom. Yep. And I just yeah that's that's great. I'm I'm all in favor of this. This is yeah yeah.
3: Okay. Yep. And then the okay. Matt Nagy cut, which the we one... don't have time to play, was just yes. about the the craziness of going from club dub and 12 wins in 2018 to ridiculously having lost six in a row in 2020. And he just kind of gave a very long kind of lamenting and, and rehashing his entire tenure with the Bears. So it's been well, it's a be, wild it's become, ride, to say the least.
2: It's become club dumb. They don't know how to win a game. <clears throat> They've been exposed as that. and And that's what it is. We'll get back to that. For now... We're going to take a break, and we will discuss the White Sox. Much going on. They have a couple new members of their team. We got news today about a former White Sox player going elsewhere. So we will discuss all that with Scott Merkin, who covers the Sox for MLB.com. I'm Steve Rosenblum. This is Mark Grody, yet another edition of Sextravaganza on Saturday. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.